G'day mate, Forty here. Coming up to the end of uh, my time in Australia. About to join that big plane to America, back to Los Angeles. So time for one last live stream from Coogee. Time for one last dip in the ocean. Right, uh, listening to an interesting article in the New Yorker, What's the Matter with Men? So my first thought is uh, men are much more reluctant to just color between the lines than women. So I noticed in, in my education, women are much more eager to simply repeat back to the teacher what the teacher wants to hear. Therefore, they tend to you know, play by the rules. They tend to you know, take the easy way out from, from a male perspective. So they're much more likely to form a favorable impression with the, with the teacher and to be much more you know, flattering to, to the teacher's ego. So women will, will play that game much more than men and they're much less likely to challenge the teacher. So women are much more likely to you know, get, uh, it seems like endorsements and uh, recommendations and to have you know, the way smooth in front of them. The men who, I mean, particularly myself, I had various teachers tell me that I was the most challenging student they ever had. And most people don't like to be challenged. Right? Most professors don't like to be challenged. Most bosses don't like to be challenged. Most people don't like to be challenged. And uh, I'm a very challenging person, even at age 56. So let's have a listen to this New Yorker article here. What's the matter with men? Yeah, women are very good at writing things down on pretty cue cards where guys just scribble stuff down. Luke Cross. Good to see you, mate. Published in the print issue of The New Yorker with the headline, Falling Behind. So I noticed in my education, women almost never challenged their teachers. They, like I was kind of driven to, I guess I've been driven all my life, to kind of challenge authority to you know, take down what is being presented to me, like looking for the, for the weak points. And I always never noticed women doing that. So I remember, you know, I fell out with a whole bunch of teachers because I, I read a blog post, you know, challenging, you know, one aspect of, of you know, one, one theoretical school in their profession. And so the entire profession just kind of closed ranks against me, talking about the Alexander Technique. And I was just like challenging certain aspects of the Patrick McDonald approach to the Alexander Technique. And then like <laughs> led by women, like all these women, in particular, just came out, came down to me like a stack of books and, and quite a few blokes too. Like the Alexander Technique is about two thirds women, right? And you'll see, you know, departments that are operated by women, you know, that they tend to be, you know, operated much more on the basis of relationships rather than excellence. And and so the type of men who succeed in professions and corporations that are dominated by these feminine rules of conduct and female dominated HR departments, right? This this appeals to a particular, you know, feminized type of bloke. What's the matter with men? Written by Idris Kaloon. And so whenever you get a question like what's the matter with men or what's the matter with Jews or what's the matter with blacks or what's the matter with women or what's the matter with gays, it's in what respect, right? Plenty of men are doing just great. Right, uh, 
plenty of men are dominating, you know, plenty of men are getting married, having kids, thriving in their careers. What we're talking about here are men on the margins. And so there's probably you know, a higher, higher amount of like antisocial tendencies among men, which can manifest in like groundbreaking innovations, but it can also you know, make your, your progress through life much more difficult. So we're really talking about men have difficulty following you know, female-dominated HR departments and, and its equivalent, who you know, have problems just you know, conforming and repeating back to the teacher or repeating back to a boss what those people in authority want to hear. Narrated by Vikas Adam. First, there was Adam, whose creation takes center stage on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Then, fashioned out of Adam's spare rib, there was Eve, relegated to a smaller panel. In Mikkel... So I'm just thinking about evolution. And so evolution has you know, created human society where women had to deal with, with men who being much, much stronger, right? So out of you know, 20 male-female pairings, 19 times out of, out of the 20, the man will be much stronger. So women for hundreds of thousands of years had to do with, deal with, with men who are much stronger, have the capability to kill them. And so women became much more adept at manipulation and at lying. And you know, some of those uh, softer feminine skills to, to deal with someone who's going to overpower you. Now, the world keeps changing, right? The world didn't just you know, change in ancient times, it's constantly changing now. So it may be that uh, structural changes in today's world, right, are the primary reason why some men are struggling. Michelangelo's rendition, as in the Bibles, the first man sleeps through the miraculous creation of his soulmate, the first woman, and the eventual mother of humanity. Many of our foundational myths are, in this way, stories about men related by men to... It's kind of stunning to me how little women understand men. Like I was talking to a woman in her 60s the other day who was shocked to find that when men get together, they talk, tend to talk often quite a bit about their sex lives. And I remember this woman, when she was about 20, she went for a, for a job interview and she was still a virgin at this time. And it was a job interview as a massage therapist. And uh, she didn't realize that it was a job interview to be a hooker. And she was just kind of bewildered, like why would her job as a massage therapist require her you know, to work without a shirt on? So it's, it's never-endingly surprising to me how, how clueless women tend to be about men. Uh, I'm not sure, is it equally true that men are like equally clueless about women, but I think men's main interests are with men, right? I don't think men spend a great deal of time thinking about women. They, they think about, say, one particular woman. Do other men. The notion of female equality is, historically, an innovation. So th there's no like equality ethos in, in evolution. Right? Equality is decidedly unnatural, and as someone on the right, equality is not, uh, it's not something I you know, pursue. I'm still fairly clueless regarding female libido. So one thing I have found interesting through both my life experience and through academic research is that female libido, pretty close, maybe 70% approximates male libido for the first year of a, a sexual relationship. So 
in the first year of a sexual relationship, sometimes when I've wanted to have sex three times a day, you know, she's also been, been down with it. So it's not 100% equal, but once you start getting into an intimate relationship, I, I found it surprising how, how closely the female libido resembles the male libido for the first year. Then after the first year, the female libido just drops off a cliff. Oh, equality. So, to me, as being on the right, it's not something that uh, you know, I, I strive for. I see as you know, particularly powerful social good. I, I don't take my ethical system just from from evolution. Obviously, we keep all sorts of people alive, who you know, evolution and the natural world would just kill off. You know, we use insulin to keep diabetics alive, and I'm all for keeping people alive. I don't, you know, strive for equality, except I will grant this, under nationalism, equality is kind of implicit in nationalism. When you're all part of a nation, there is a sense of equality, that you're all in it together. It's not a precise equality, it's more of a spiritual equality. So, given that different people have different gifts, you're never going to get equality. But, I, I do recognize the, the wisdom of you know, framework like equality before the law, right? That that seems to be a quite a laudable goal, even if we, we never fully achieve it. But aside from equality before the law, equality is not really something I'm terribly interested in. Woman has always been man's dependent, if not his slave. The two. Well, yeah, women have been dependent on men, but men have been, been dependent on women. Right? All through history, we, we have tales of men who are manipulated by women, all right? You may think you're the hardy, you know, strong, you know, masculine type, but, you know, once you say you start getting into an intimate relationship with a woman, right, you'll often be willing to sacrifice absolutely everything to continue that, and then the more you become willing to sacrifice to continue this intimate relationship with a woman, the less respect that she has for you, which then kills her libido. So it becomes a self-destructive spiral. Women seem to need permission to engage in sex. The desire is similar. The impulse control seems higher. Yeah, so uh, the, the old cliche, I think, is largely true that uh, men give love to get sex and women give sex to, to get love. So women are often willing to go to bed with a guy as, as a way of jump-starting and creating a relationship. And men will be willing to give the the sense of a relationship to try to you know get a, a sexual thing going with, with a woman so in dating you know women often you know give off what they perceive men wanting most you know sexuality so they'll hint at that they'll tease that and men will tease and give off you know that they'll be a good steady provider because they, they know what what women most want is you know a long-term safe relationship where they are protected and provided for and women know what men most want which is you know regular doses of sex and so they both you know, early on in the relationship tend to meet what they presume to be the dominant needs and desires of, of the man and then once the relationship becomes you know set in concrete say with with marriage then a lot of the pretenses that both sides have gone along with during the courtship phase, you would just drop off. So women cease to pretend to be interested in all sorts of things that they pretended to be interested in prior to marriage, such as sports or tennis. 
and uh, men, you know, start pretending to be interested in all sorts of things that, you know, women are interested in. So I remember I met this woman at the Los Angeles Press Club and she was talking about her AI project and robots and stuff like that. And I pretended to be, you know, really interested in her project, even though, I frankly, I didn't have any interest in her project. I just wanted to romance her. Sexes have never shared the world in equality. Simone de Beauvoir wrote in The Second Sex, published in 1949. And even today, woman is heavily handicapped, though her situation is beginning to change. Yeah, there are ways that women are handicapped, there are ways that men are handicapped. Right? We all have vulnerabilities. We all have dependency, whether it's economic or nurturing or sex. Nearly three quarters of a century later, that change has continued. By a variety of metrics, men are falling behind parity. Is the second sex becoming the better half? Many social scientists agree that contemporary American men are mired in malaise, even as they... I don't see that nearly as much in Australia. So Australia, more than any other first world nation of which I'm aware, has sexual segregation. Like blokes overwhelmingly hang out with blokes, she was overwhelmingly hang out with she was. So more naturally occurring social sexual segregation in Australia than anywhere else. So Australian men seem to be overall in much better shape than American men. Also, because Australia restricts immigration, Australia has pretty good wage rates for the average bloke. And also, because Australia restricts immigration, it has generous social services, which also help, uh, help, help men. So the American masculine crisis, I don't see it nearly as much in Australia. I don't hear it talked about nearly as much in, in Australia. Uh, there's probably you know, more tolerance for blokes being blokes in Australia than in America disagree about the causes. In academic performance, boys are well behind girls in elementary school, high school, and college, where the sex ratio is approaching two female undergraduates for every one male. Right, but if you talk to teachers, they'll usually say that their brightest, smartest students are still overwhelmingly men. But the students who get the best grades are women because, you know, they just go along to get along. It was an even split at the start of the 1980s. Rage among self-designated incels and other elements of the online manosphere appears to be steering some impressionable teens toward misogyny. Men are increasingly dropping out of work during their prime working years. Look, uh, rage at the opposite sex, I think, is just inherent in life, all right? Because I know, particularly as a, as a man, I know what it's like that you have to initiate with women, and so you'll overwhelmingly get a lot of rejection, which will naturally feel humiliating and humbling and you know, women have their own reasons to ha have rage against men so you know rage against the opposite sex is not something that's just manufactured on the internet it's just kind of inherent in life overdosing drinking themselves to death and generally dying earlier including by suicide and men are powering the new brand of reactionary republican politics so some people don't do well living in captivity right so some, you know, American Indian tribes, they didn't last too long in captivity. They didn't thrive in captivity. And, you know, some groups, including some male groups, you know, don't do well living in captivity. And I can understand why many men feel like they're living in a world that's, you know, increasingly run by, you know, HR-type women. That our major institutions are increasingly shaped to meet the needs of you know, middle-aged single women.
politics, premised on a return to better times when America was great, and unsubtly, when men could really be men. Well, America has destroyed many of the ways that men could just be with men. So men hanging out with men, it increases your energy levels, it increases your strength levels, it, you know, it's a legitimate way of meeting you know, intimacy and human connection needs. And America, through its civil rights legislation, has made you know, male-only spaces you know, increasingly tenuous. You, you, off the top of my head, you find them only in some forms of traditional religion and in strip clubs. The question is what to make of the paroxysm. For the revanchist right, the plight of American men is existential. It is an affront to biological, and perhaps biblical, determinism, a threat to an entire social order. Yet, for all the strides that women have made since gaining the right to vote, the highest echelons of power remain lopsidedly male. The detoxification of masculinity, progressives say, is a messy and necessary process. Sore losers of undeserved privilege don't merit much sympathy. So there is a lot of ugly male behavior. Right? Women have a lot of legitimate complaints, such as you know the predatory nature of male sexuality, right? where men just you know bang as many women as they can, you know, as long as they they get legal consent. Right? Legal consent does not necessarily equate with what's in the best interests of the, of the woman. And so I understand why many women are complaining. What exactly is positive masculinity according to the left-leaning progressive? Well, one thing I do notice about university-educated progressives is that they seem to get married and have kids and lead pretty successful and moral lives, right? So I guess it refers to more equality in, in roles between fathers and mothers, so probably, you know, a little more discouraging of male rambunctiousness, uh, which means, you know, emphasis on more consideration for other people rather than just blurting out what you say. But it, it is interesting how traditional leftist university graduates tend to lead lives. They, they overwhelmingly tend to get married and they tend to have kids. They tend to pay their bills, and they tend to be, in their personal lives, quite responsible members of society. Richard V. Reeves, a British-American scholar of inequality and social mobility, and a self-described conscientious objector in the culture wars, would like to skip past the moralizing and analyze men in the... I really like that phrase, conscientious objector in the culture wars. I'm more for discussing the culture wars, I'm more for participating in the culture wars, but it's also a great idea that... You know, some scholars and some individuals just like step outside the culture walls to do their analysis. ...states that he finds them, beset by bewildering changes that they cannot adapt to. His latest book, Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is... So, yeah, that, that may be the primary reason why American men are, are struggling, because of structural reasons in, you know, a transforming world and transforming economy. You know, it may not primarily be because of culture war issues. Struggling, why it matters, and what to do about it, Brookings argues that the rapid liberation of women and the labor market shift toward brains and away from brawn have left men bereft of what the sociologist David Morgan calls ontological security. So when the left talks about liberation, right, there's never any understanding that often this liberation is zero sum. When you 
when you create ever-increasing civil rights laws to enshrine liberty and additional choice for some groups, it almost always comes at the price of other liberties and other rights, such as freedom of association has been severely hampered by a civil rights law. Like, there are fewer and fewer male-only spaces. Right? So this vast expansion of civil rights law, civil rights bureaucracy, and then businesses having to take into consideration uh, the risk of being sued for some civil rights infraction, so they institute you know, all these you know, heinous HR requirements and the like, which make you know, the workplace a less and less hospitable place for men. So, yeah, you multiply rights, say, for minorities, it often comes at the cost of social trust, social cohesion, and the, the strength of the majority. They now confront the prospect of cultural redundancy, Reeves writes. He sees telltale signs in the way that boys are floundering at school and men are leaving work and failing to perform their paternal obligations. All this, he says, has landed... So when, when government is willing to you know, fund women who have, say, children out of wedlock, or when you have an increasingly generous welfare state, then, yeah, male obligations to provide, that is being devalued. Hardest on black men whose life prospects have been decimated by decades of mass incarceration, and on men without college degrees whose wages have fallen in... Okay, black men's lives have not been decimated by decades of incarceration. They have been decimated by the horrible choices that lead some to endure decades of mass incarceration. But for every you know, black man or white man or brown man or Asian man who endures decades of incarceration, there are 10 times as many people who've gotten away with this heinous antisocial behavior. So it's the heinous antisocial criminal behavior that's the problem, right? It's not that uh, a tiny minority of people who've engaged in this heinous behavior have had to pay an appropriate price. Real terms, whose life expectancies have dropped markedly and whose families are fracturing at astonishing rates. Things have become so bad, so quickly, that emergency social repairs are needed. So it used to be in the 1960s we had Daniel Patrick Moynihan writing about an emergency in the black family because out-of-wedlock births were something like 27%. Right now I think that white people have out-of-wedlock births at about 40% and something like 80% of black births are out-of-wedlock. It is like the needles on a magnetic compass reversing their polarity, Reeves writes. Suddenly, working for gender equality means focusing on boys rather than girls. That either... So, out of everything that you work for, like working for gender equality seems the lamest, lamest mission. And I don't believe in, in the designation gender. So gender is saying that male-female is created by society. Right. I believe in sex. There are real biological differences between men and women, and that these biological differences account for the primary reason for life result differences. Or can be disputed. The transformed social landscape that men face cannot. When Beauvoir was writing her manifesto on the plight of women, she noted that the most media... So the transformed social landscape is being transformed by individuals. Right, who've been successful and you know, triumphed over other individuals, so the left has come to dominate all, this, all our institutions, change social landscapes as a result of you know, changing 
legislation, such as civil rights legislation in particular, uh, the explosive growth in HR departments, uh, in administration, right, where HR departments, businesses increasingly run, you know, along lines that are most favorable to single middle-aged women. Right? This didn't just happen out of the blue as a result of deliberate choices by individuals and groups that have created the problems that we have today. Joker of males feels himself a demigod as compared with women, and that a man would never get the notion of writing a book on the peculiar situation of the human male. Nowadays, there are many such books. Self-doubt has broken through the supposed imperviousness of masculine self-belief. Reeves's book is... So I think another issue here is that we've increasingly medicalized and narcoticized ordinary life. So more and more rambunctious boys are getting diagnosed with ADHD. I don't know, but I wonder if many of these boys diagnosed with ADHD are simply you know, rambunctious boys and changing mores that now say that this sort of behavior is a medical problem. I mean, when I was age six, I would just wander around in the bush all day with a tomahawk and I'd go around and I'd chop down trees and I'd come home for lunch, and then I'd wander around in the bush for a few more hours. So this kind of rambunctious behavior now perhaps is increasingly diagnosed as a, a medical problem like ADHD. Accurate diagnosis of ADHD is a, is a very powerful tool. It's a, it's a good thing. Obviously, inaccurate and excessive diagnosis of ADHD and putting kids on Ritalin if it may not be in their best interest for many of the kids. Only the latest. It is also one of the most cogent. That's not just a consequence of his compelling procession of statistical findings. It's also due to the originality of his crisply expressed thesis that men's struggles are not reducible to a masculinity that is too toxic or too enfeebled, but rather reflect the workings of the same structural forces that apply to every other group. Reeves excels in relaying uncomfortable truths to his fellow liberals, a talent that he displayed in his previous book, Dream Hoarders, about how well-meaning college-educated parents are hindering social mobility. Still, he says, when he brought up the idea for Of Boys and Men, many people tried to discourage him from writing it. Progressive... So this reminds me of those researchers who... Well, it's 11 p.m. here in the UK, gotta go. All right, Luke Craft, talk to you later. So this reminds me of these researchers who wrote about the, the white death epidemic and you know, they were discouraged because you're not supposed to write about how white people can be victims too. But uh, white life expectancy is being crushed by the opioid epidemic. And we have a lot of you know, white people, generally speaking the least educated, who are dying you know, deaths of despair. A little bit similar to the deaths of despair endured by indigenous Americans when they were moved into captivity. So certain topics are you know, hot to write about in academia, such as the suffering of you know, historically oppressed minorities and women, but writing about the suffering of white people or of men, right, you're not going to get a lot of kudos for that. These are generally happier to discuss current social disparities that go in the expected direction, such as the black-white gap in life expectancy, than those which don't. The facts say that life expectancy among Hispanics is slightly higher than among non-Hispanic whites. Besides, if our model of gender politics is zero-sum, the educational and economic decline of men may even be welcome. 
Women had to endure centuries of subjugation and discrimination. Should it? Wow. I mean, just imagine how perverse you have to be to think, you know, that, that male decline is, is welcome, right? That, that comes from a pathological perspective. I think as Henry Kissinger said, there, there can be no winner in the battle of the sexes because, you know, there, there's too much cohabitation with the enemy. I mean, you have to be particularly perverse to welcome the decline of men, right? It's not a good thing for women. Could it really be alarmed that they are just now managing to overshoot gender parity in a few domains? Of boys and men argues for a speedy response because the decline in the fortunes of present-day men, not only in comparison with women, but in absolute terms, augurs so poorly for men several decades on. As far as I can tell, nobody predicted that women would overtake men so rapidly, so com So I was listening to a speaker and he says if you, you know, if you want to know your present Right. Look at your past behavior. Like, if you want to know why you're in your present situation, look at your past behavior. If you want to know what your future will look like, you know, look at your present behavior. So whatever's going on now, that's going to be amplified down the line. And the situation you're in now is a result of your past choices. Comprehensively, or so consistently around the world, Reeves writes. He notes that schoolgirls outperform schoolboys both in advanced countries that still struggle with considerable sexism, such as South Korea, and in notably egalitarian countries like Sweden, where researchers say they are confronting a poikrisen, or boy crisis. In 2009, American high school students in the top 10% of their freshman class were twice as likely to be female. Boys, meanwhile, are at least twice as likely to be diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So men naturally like to fight, right? Men naturally like to compete. And fighting and competition is increasingly frowned upon by our left-wing dominated, feminist-dominated educators. So I think that's got to be a role here. I grew up in Seventh-day Adventist where competition was strongly discouraged, and so I put a little effort into my schooling. Right? If there'd been an outlet to be competitive in my schooling, I would have applied myself. I would have done much better, but my, my school years were largely wasted because competition was so frowned upon because you know, natural male energies and male outlets were, were stomped on. I mean, there were no classes in, say, military history or military theory. Right? Boys would love classes in military history and military theory. Boys love fighting. Boys love competition. It used to be that you channel that to energize boys to do socially productive things such as study hard, but in an increasingly feminized, you know, anti-competitive environment in like grade school education, I think that has to work against the the best interests of men. All right, I'm going to jump in the ocean. I'll talk to you later.